Welcome to another episode of Residentially Speaking, a podcast dedicated to bringing you interesting and informative content from key builders, dealers, thought leaders, and influencers across the residential construction industry. I'm your host, Alan Hubble. On this podcast, we will have an in-depth discussion on the history and development of window and door flashing over the last 10 plus years. It's an application and part of the construction process that has changed significantly. We now have new types of products, new standards, and new methods to consider. Nearly all have been developed in the last decade and a half. So let's get started. Joining me on today's podcast are three guests, all from DuPont's Performance Building Solutions business. We have Jim Katsaris, who's a PhD scientist who for 20 years has focused on the development of flashing products, systems, methods, and standards. Also joining are Tom Baeta and Keenan Watson, who work in DuPont's Building Knowledge Center. Tom and Keenan both bring a wealth of knowledge and experience in the testing arena, as they've worked side by side with Jim in the development of DuPont flashing products and materials, as well as uh, deep experience in qualifying DuPont's flashing guidelines and methods, all of which also work their way into the development of industry standards and industry methods. Residentially speaking, that's coming up. Jim, Tom, and Keenan, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you guys. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Alan. Hey, we've had some really interesting industry guests on this show, uh, folks not necessarily working for DuPont, but we haven't talked to many DuPonters, so we thought it would be um, great to have a DuPont Insight and DuPont Perspective uh, podcast. And at the same time, also wanted to pick a building science topic and kind of go deep on that. So what better what better folks to have on than you three on the topic of flashing and do a deep dive on flashing. And so uh, really excited to, um, to explore this subject with you all over the, over the coming uh, 30 or 45 minutes. Before we get there, let me start with some introductions. You guys are all well qualified to speak on this subject. Um, Jim, Jim, let's start with you. What you know? How many years with Dupont, and what's your, been in your involvement with the uh, with flashing and, and the window industry? Thanks, Alan, um, and I appreciate the opportunity here. Um, so, yeah, Jim Katsaros, I'm a research fellow, uh, application research group here in uh, Richmond, Virginia, and I've been with Dupont uh, 34 years. Wow. So it's been, been a long career, great career for, for uh, me. And uh, about the last 18 or so, I've been working in the building envelope uh, application research group, working in product development on our uh, building envelope products, our wraps and flashings. Um, particularly focused on the flashing products uh, in, in the, in the uh, industry as well. I work in uh, several of the committees uh, for the industry, developing standards. Uh, some of them have been adopted into codes and yeah. working in installation guides. So again, working a lot with the flashing industry as well as doing product development and end use research. Great. Yeah. We're going to explore that experience <laughs> for sure. Tom, how about you? How long have you been with DuPont and what's been your involvement with the, um, in the flashing field? Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me here. Um, yeah, I actually have spent my entire career with DuPont. So I've got 10 years with DuPont now. I started as a manufacturing engineer and found myself in the construction business here. So I've been in what we call our building knowledge center uh, support team for seven years, focusing specifically on uh, multifamily construction. So I'm a field development consultant within that particular group. Great, great. Glad to have you. 
Keenan, saving the best for last here. Oh, tell thanks, us, Alan. Tell us about <laughs> yeah, so, yourself. Yeah, yeah I, I too have been with DuPont my whole career. So 10 years, uh, started in the research and development team. So did a lot of hands-on testing with this flashing uh, portfolio. And then in the last four or five years, I've been in the building knowledge center. So I'm field development specialist with focus on the residential side along with the roof. Super, super. Great to have you. Thanks. So let's get started. So the residential construction industry is, you know, has a rap of being kind of slow to change, right? And, but I think flashing, that doesn't necessarily, at least in my view, doesn't necessarily apply to flashing. There's been tremendous change over the last 10 or 20 years in the, the use and application of window flashings, door flashings, and so forth, particularly in the self-adhered, which is what we're mm. going to talk about primarily here. Jim, you've, you've been around since, you know, really the inception of some of these products on the DuPont side, and certainly, which means yeah. in the use in the industry. If you go back 20 years, how was flashing done, if at all? What, what were folks doing? So 20 years ago, uh, people were flashing, even though it wasn't yet uh, required by code. But typically what they would do is use um, the nine inch width uh, mechanically attached flashing, which would be a film or asphalt impregnated paper. Um, or they would, if they did use a self-adhered flashing, it was typically an asphaltic material, bitumen type material. Mm -hmm. And they, there was a lot of product uh, problems with those products um, in that, you know, the, the bitumen itself would not uh, hold up very well uh, to weather and it tended to ooze and, and uh, stain over time. So it really didn't have a good performance history um, back then in, in those kinds of products. And also another key thing that they were doing back then was uh, in, in general, they would install the window with the full exterior barrier method in, in that they would seal up all four sides under the flange uh, and create an exterior barrier. And this yeah. uh, was the, the easy way to do it at the time, but they didn't typically use the sill pan drainage method that we use now. Yeah, so I want to, I definitely want to explore that with you later, this idea of drainage versus barrier method. Um, okay, yep. so flashing was done, it was mechanical flashing. How, when and where and who introduced uh, the idea with the, the, the I, I guess you said there were self-adhered flashings, they tend to be bitumen, but not butyls. Right, bitumen, was, right. Was, was DuPont the first to introduce a butyl? Um, I think we were, uh, at least in the very early part, introducing the butyl, which was, again, much more durable, cleaner adhesive system than the asphalt, uh, okay. performed better at wide temperature ranges. Yep. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. And, but the game really changed a lot with the introduction of the FlexWrap product, right? This flexible, conformable product used on the sill. Correct. Yeah, that was really a game changer. That, that product was launched in 2001. And I mentioned before how historically people were doing the, the four-sided barrier method. Um, unless you were like working in a high-end commercial building where you'd use a metal sill pan system, typically they, they wouldn't see that in residential. But what FlexRap allowed is because of its conformability um, and, and, and it able to make a sill pan flashing very easily and very quickly and cost-effectively. And so that really introduced the drainable methods into uh, the residential market went more cost effectively. And um, again, it was a game changer then. Great. So yeah, because a window can leak. And maybe we'll get into this when we talk about wall testing, but a window can leak, you know, through the window joinery itself, right at the interface, right. and then somewhere up above the window, and you want to be able to manage the water in all those cases, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of, you know, water follows gravity, right? 
And so when you're really trying to manage water in a building, you're looking for things that come from above. And that's a lot of times the water will leak into the rough opening, which is again, it's a, it's a hole in the drainage play on the wall, which blocks the natural drainage of the wall. And the water can collect at the sill of the window because it's, if it doesn't have a way to get out. And that's what the sill pan flashing can do with, with drainage. And that's, that's uh, a key upgrade that we did with our system back then. Great. Got it. Okay. So let's talk about the industry associations a bit. So um, one, how long have you been involved in, and there, well, let me start here. There's a lot of acronyms uh, in the, in the window industry and, and, and the associations, you know, I've heard AMA, FG, FGIA, uh, WDMA, uh, all these various associations. C can you give us a, a a brief, you know, history synopsis of how these associations have evolved. And just like in the industry, there's been consolidation, right? Oh, yes. Um, so AMA was, uh, again, the industry that focused mostly on the architectural side of the business, which would be the vinyl windows and aluminum type windows. And they merged just uh, last year with um, the insula insulated glass manufacturers, so the I IGMA. Um, and so, and they formed FGIA, uh, Fenestration Glass Industry Alliance. And so that's a larger organization, uh, but they still are doing all the AMA standards uh, as they've been for many years. DuPont is now a 25 year member of AMA. And uh, again, they've been very active, particularly in the wall interface council, uh, part of AMA, which addresses the window wall interface with, uh, you know, the flashing products, the sealants, things like that. So that's a, we've been closely involved with that. The other industry associations, WDMA, the Window and Door Manufacturers Association, is traditionally more than the wood window industry. Um, and uh, just so it kind of covers a slightly different part of the market. And then there's FMA, the Fenestration Manufacturers Association, which has historically dealt with the southeastern part of the U.S., um, and some, a lot of the concerns, the, the code issues in, in the hurricane zones in Florida. So that's, that's FMA's expertise, more the extreme exposure areas. Great. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> so within the um, FGIA, so we have these uh, under the, the wall interface council, you have these various committees, right? You're looking at mm -hmm. materials, yes. you're looking at um, test protocols, if you will, or methods of test. And then you're also looking at installation best um, guidelines or best practices, right? Your, so materials, yes. installation, and testing are kind of the three areas. That's where, that's where we're involved mostly. And that's, again, yes, that's, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. So let, let's talk about flashings. That's kind of, as I think of the materials and then within the flashing committee, there are various standards to address different types of flashing, self-adhered, mechanical, fluid applied, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's, it can be quite a long list. When we talk yeah. about self-adhered, folks hear AMA 711, and that, that refers to so, the self-adhered flashing material standard coming out of the now FGIA, correct? C correct. Yeah. So AMA 711, yes. Yeah, so tell us about AMA 711. Okay, so AMA 711 uh, was first launched, I believe, in 2007. And there's been several versions of that since then. It was first adopted into the IRC code in 2009. So it has been the standard now for self-adhered flashing products used in windows and doors um, for you know, a number of years. 
we've recently had a new uh, version come out in 2020 uh, that uh, had, again, some adjustments. Key, the key material properties that we cover with the 711 standard are things like the uh, nail sealability, making sure you can seal through fasteners, uh, proper adhesion to different types of substrates. So we have uh, minimum adhesion requirements at, at different, um, you know, against OSB and against uh, uh, CMU and things like that. And then there's a lot of durability standards. So you can't just work initially, you have to have durability over time. So there's, there's provisions in there for UV stability, uh, thermal aging, heat stability, water immersion, and all those uh, extra you know, durability things. This standard also addresses the key minimum lap requirements, so the two inch past the minimum, past the critical interface as a minimum lap. Yeah, that's uh, a key. Yeah, key parameter, also, right? Key design. It's also, yeah, it's defined in the standard as well. Great. Um, so if I'm a builder, contractor, window installer, if I see a flashing that references or claims they meet AMA 711, that basically allows them, in theory, to be able to compare various products, right? If they, they claim yes. either an install temp or something, they, they meet these standards that the industry has said are the right standards, a good, good baseline performance. Yep. And the, the user can be assured that they're, they're meeting those minimums with those products making that claim. Correct. Yeah. Right. So the AMA 711 does, you know, the, the basic standard will give you the, the bare minimum that you need to be qualified as a, a flashing for windows and doors, but you can go above and beyond that. So there's three levels of, of heat exposure, uh, level one, two, three, as, and, and three being the highest uh, that, that can differentiate your product. And also there's a provision in AMA 711 where it says, if you're gonna claim a low temperature uh, installation of say like 25 degrees Fahrenheit or, or zero degrees Fahrenheit, the standard says that you must pass the peel adhesion requirement at that temperature in order to make that claim. Yeah. And so that's, that's again, a very important thing for people to know that there's something backing the claims that people make uh, for those types of you know, temperatures and things. Yeah. So let me, let me back. I got two more questions. Then we're going to bring Tom and Keenan in here. Um, you mentioned 2009 in the, in the International Residential Code, the IRC, that um, the AMA 711 entered into the code at that, in that year, 2009. But flashing, uh, when did flashing get specified in the code? Was it, it am I mistaken? Yeah. Was it 2006? That 2006. It yeah. Okay. And that was, again, a DuPont. Um, Teresa Weston uh, put forth that, yeah. that, um, that change to the code. And that's when it was first um, addressed to flash in the correct shingle fashion and, you know, flash, you know, all windows and doors needed to be flashed. So that was yeah. the first time that you had to have some sort of flashing. And then 2009, it brought in the, the standard as well. So the 7-Eleven. Yeah. To so define I mean, that, that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where, so we've been building homes for, you know, hundreds of years, right. Right? all of humanity. Yeah. And yet it's only in the last 15 years that we've had actually it's specified in the code that you must flash. That's real. I find that amazing. I don't know. I, I find that. Amazing. <laughs> we learn as we go. Right. Yeah. And then um, the last question, I guess I remember, cause I've, I've been around a little while too, about 15 years now in this industry, in this uh, particular business and industry. Um, but I remember a lot of discussion around, well, DuPont and, and others, you're selling me a four inch product, but the code or the standard says nine inch. I need a nine inch. 
right? Remember, we went through all that with self-adhered versus uh, a mechanical. Right. Tell, tell us about how that kind of how, what was that all about and kind of how do we resolve it? Yeah, so, so the, the original nine inch standard really was based on the uh, mechanically attached products, but it, it didn't specify that in, in the ASTM E2112. So, so that was the original window and door installation uh, Bible, as we call it. I mean, it's just, it's a great reference material that they, they, we put forth. The fir first uh, version was published, I believe in 2003. Um, and that's where it's, it didn't, there was no flashing standard at the time. So it just said minimum of nine inch width. And there was an AMA standard, AMA 2400, that referenced mostly the Southwest type systems. And that also required a nine inch width flashing. But then when AMA 711 came along uh, in 2007, then we said, well, look, the self-adhere products really only need to be four inches wide. And that's that's really where that, yeah. that change was made. So yep. you get every bit of the performance that you got in the mechanical oh, yes. nine inch and, four, and, then, yeah. and then some, obviously, yeah. So Correct. Yeah. one of the benefits, you know, one of the great things about working for DuPont is we have access to the, and these capabilities for testing and whether it be at the lab bench or wall systems and so forth. And so <clears throat> as these AMA 711 were, uh, was getting developed, there was also in a similar path, you know, parallel path, there was work going on inside DuPont, right? Testing and learning and specifying. And so some of that, it's a little bit of a symbiotic relationship, right, with you, because you're learning from your DuPont work, and then you're able to bring that to the to the industry association, and or vice versa, bring the learnings there back and and help guide Absolutely. development. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, um, you know, Keenan, in terms of some of the testing that you've been involved with, thinking about AMA Seven Eleven now, um, you know, tell us what that what that looks like in the lab, and what some of your experiences have been testing various flashing products to AMA Seven Eleven. Yeah, like you said, working for DuPont is great in that aspect. We have a, a great lab that we have um, originally in Richmond. Now we've, we've moved it, but we have capabilities there where three to four of the pieces of equipment um, go directly towards our changes or just trying to figure out how our performance levels are for the self adhere flashing um, products. So we have something that, you, like Jim was talking about earlier, a thermotron that'll take temperatures and we'll go from cold to hot or hot to cold and then test how that self adhere flashing material is performing afterward. Um, we also have QUV so we can figure out how long the product can be exposed to the elements in a equipment form and not outside in the real world. Uh, so there are real world tests that are located in, in Phoenix and Florida, but these pieces of equipment in a lab are able to get this uh, data to you much quicker uh, so that you can figure out how well that that product's performing. Um, and what that does is it takes it through uh, a sun simulator and also sprays condensation. So you're really getting that real world exposure that this flashing material around your window or door would be seeing on a daily basis. And lastly, what Jim was kind of talking about earlier, he explained if you claim a temperature, for instance, 25 degrees Fahrenheit, how, what does that mean? So you really want to understand how well that material is sticking to whatever, whatever substrate it's applied to. Um, so we have a, a couple peel adhesion tests that allow you to go to cold temperatures, hot temperatures, room temperature, really whatever you're looking for in that AMA standard and figuring out how well it's adhering to say OSB, which is your typical wall substrate. Uh, or if you start to get in commercial, how well it's uh, applied to and, and adhering to uh, concrete. So all of these 
tools and equipment that we have in the lab save us time and money at some point um, so that when we're upgrading our flashing materials or developing new ones, we're able to test in-house and get those answers to make sure we're able to tell those customers that we do meet and pass on a 7-Eleven. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, thanks for walking us through that. Tom, you've been involved in an awful lot of testing as well, seen various products. As you look at, you know, the question is why Butyl? Like as you look at these various flashing products, what's been your experience specifically with the adhesive systems, for instance, Butyl versus some of the others? What, what do you see, the advantages, disadvantages, performance and so forth uh, as you've been involved? Yeah, I think um, with the different types of flashing, um, a lot of it obviously comes down to application, right? So when I look at our, our butyl uh, flashing products that have a butyl-based uh, uh, adhesive and compare that against some others, uh, acrylic is a really uh, popular adhesive uh, category these days. Um, and, and they do perform really well. Um, and they have a really strong tack. So when you talk about uh, tack and uh, the adhesive quality, um, how forgiving is that adhesive during the initial application? So one of the nice things that we have with our butyl products is that during the initial applications, you have some of that forgiveness that allows you to, if you're thinking about an integral flange window, right, and you're trying to apply a piece of flashing at a window jam, you might not get it right that first time when you're trying to install it. So there's some forgivability that butyl allows for during the, the application. And that translates, you know, back to the question around testing as well. Um, Keenan mentioned the uh, smaller scale uh, material testing, but of course we want to test at a, a larger assembly scale. So um, having some of that butyl uh, based flashing helps us to ensure that we get good installations for those uh, assemblies in the lab that then translate to the field. And then ultimately, one last thing on the butyl adhesive is that, um, of course, it, it flows over time. Um, so there's a characteristic of the butyl that has that forgiveness at first, but with uh, uh, proper applied pressure during the installation and uh, over time, that adhesive gets more aggressive, actually. So that's a really positive aspect of the butyl adhesive um, for it to perform in the long run on, on the buildings and homes that we place it on. So, okay, so we've done the deep dive on AMA 711, the self-adhered flashing material standard, if you will, or product standard, I guess. Um, but there's some others, right? There's AMA 712, a mechanical flashing system. There's 714 for liquid applied flashings. Um, anything, Jim, anything we should know, the, the audience should know about those? Well, again, as you mentioned, 714 for liquid applied flashing is a relatively newer material but it's definitely gaining um, a lot of popularity because it's the, the liquid applieds provide the ultimate conformability. And there's just a lot of areas where that, th those products make a lot of sense. Um, that is also now referenced in the code as of 2018. Um, and uh, again, these products also have the advantage of very often they're, they're vapor permeable. So, one thing you can do with liquid applied flashings that you can't do with self-adhered is apply them to damp surfaces. And there's a provision for that in the AMA 714 uh, standard. As long as you have a minimum perm rating uh, for the product, you can apply in damp conditions. Hmm. So that, that's a key differentiator. That's a key differentiator, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and the AMA 712, of course, is for mechanically uh, applied flashing, the more traditional type of flashing. That also has now been referenced in the code since 2015. And that, again, has the, the nine-inch minimum width and, and more of the traditional uh, 
material that was there before the, the self-adhered. Are folks still, I mean, mechanical flashing is still a thing. Folks are still applying it. Is it, is it regional? Yes, probably. Yeah. yeah mostly in the Southwest uh, is where you would see it most often. Yeah. Right. Where it's been traditionally used. Yep. Tom or Keenan, have you guys been brought in on any jobs where it helps solve some mechanical flashing? So I think we, we see it quite often on our end. It's a, a learning experience for those that are installing it. So with, with our network, and how many boots on the, the, the field that we have on the ground, we're able to really teach those who are installing the importance of exactly what we're talking about today, that self-adhere flashing, what the characteristics of it are and, and why you're using it. So that mechanically fastened piece is, is typically used for costs. Um, it, it's a cheaper cost for those who are building. Uh, but again, it, it's very important for them to understand the risks associated with exactly what they're using. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say we, you know, we found ways to to work with some of those folks who uh, have traditionally used those types of products as well um, to help them understand the different types of products that are available and work with them around uh, the applications that they're using to kind of tailor it and and make sure they're getting the best installations that they can. So. One, a couple last points on AMA 711, and then I want to go to the methods of test um, discussion. We uh, On 711, uh, let's talk a minute about nail sealability. What does AMA 711 say about nail sealability? That tends to can be a hot topic at times, and there may be some misperceptions out there. Correct. Yeah. So we actually, the, the 2020 version of AMA 711 actually modified the nail sealability test so that we, we no longer reference the other industry standard that a lot of people use is which is the ASTM D1970. Uh, the ASTM D1970 test for nail sealability was developed for self-adhered roof underlayments mm. and has different types of rigorous requirements based on a, you know, a horizontal application on a, like a low sloped roof. Uh, the AMA 711 committee recognized that that may not be fully appropriate for flashing applied vertically uh, for, you know, at a window wall interface. So we modified it to really accommodate that. Uh, and now we have, uh, again, a new standard. It's not quite as rigorous in some ways as ASTM D1970, but in other ways it is, is rigorous based on the criteria for success uh, yeah. in terms of having to pass five out of five samples and things like that. Yes. Great. Okay. No, I didn't know yep. that. Yeah. Uh, and and then finally, so the other misperception maybe about AMA 711 is um, it doesn't necessarily specify a minimum installation temperature, right? It simply no. sets the conditions by which you can make that claim. So in other words, you can pass AMA 711 at 50 degrees, 40 degrees. At room temperature. Whatever, room yeah. temperature. Yeah, that's about the only requirement, right? Room right. So this, the, the, the main standard would be done at room temperature. And that's that's the one you have to and, pass. And then as a man, you've fracture if you want to make a claim lower you have to test per those test protocols and so forth correct yes yeah okay mm -hmm. great so yeah that i think there's some misperception out there about oh if it's on a 7-eleven it means i can go to x temperature but that's not necessarily the case it's still up to the manufacturer to specify that yes in accordance with the standard okay so then before we get to wall testing there's this other um i want to spend just a minute on the uh, methods of test committee so that one sounds a little uh, mysterious. What is that, Jim? What is the methods of test committee? 
um, and, and kind of what does it do for the industry different than the, the flashing committee? Yeah, so this is, again, this is FGIA has a, a broad committee for methods of test. It's the AMA 500 series, AMA 501, 502, 503, 504. The, the earlier ones, 501, two and three, really address field testing where they, they, they uh, provide specifications for assembly testing, providing you know, a water spray onto an installation to test for water intrusion and, and sealing and all that. The one that I've worked on most recently that was published in 2020 is AMA 504. And that was the first one that actually defined a test protocol for um, assembly testing um, in, in, in lab conditions. So you could uh, assemble this, this new installation practice with new materials that uh, haven't been used in the field before and go by this standard. Well, it'll do some um, air infiltration tests, water infiltration testing, structural loading, thermal cycling. So it puts this assembly through these rigorous uh, test methods. And if you pass all that, you can say, hey, this, this method, these products, uh, meet AMA 504 and, and therefore have a certain level of quality based on that. Gotcha. Okay. And so the other question around the, the methods of test, so that, that protocol, I'm assuming, um, you know, I know the DuPont internal test protocols are pretty rigorous. And matter of fact, right. for, the, for those listeners and users of our products, they can be assured one of the reasons they're premium products is we put them through additional tests above and beyond the industry standards. Um, so they perform at that high level. So there's always that balance, right? The industry, where you set that bar and then where a manufacturer chooses to meet it or maybe even and go above it, we obviously right. go, go above it. Um, so I, I'm not sure if the question's for Jim or for Tom or Keenan, but like as you were setting those standards, some of those learnings came from the DuPont testing protocols as well and our, our learnings over time. Is that a fair yeah, statement? Definitely. Um, definitely. It was especially the sequence of them and, you know, doing the steps for durability and, and thermal cycling. Yeah, that was definitely part of the DuPont protocol. And then, and, and that's was brought into these, these test methods. Yes. Yeah. I was just explaining. And, and we talked earlier about small scale testing. So that benchmark and, and Tom added, we, we have wall tests. So this is exactly where that's coming from. Uh, ASTM standards. So E1677 and E2357 which relate to residential, multifamily, and commercial. So like Jim was saying, we were able to take some of the ways in which we learn from all the internal testing and take that to the AMA standards and, and say, this will help make sure those who are using products out in the field are using exactly what they expect to get. Um, you wouldn't buy something and, and expect it to fail at a quick rate. So these products are going through testing that has air leakage. So you're making sure they, they hold out the air that we're claiming. Then they have water test part of it, um, which is E331. And that can go up to 6.24 PSF, which is a, a pretty high wind speed of near 50 miles per hour. So how is my house performing with a high wind rainstorm? Um, are these products holding out exactly as I'd hope? And then lastly, they do go through a, a wind load. So you're expecting a, a heavy wind pressure applied to that product. And after all of that, they now go through a thermal chamber that takes the product through a high temperature up to 120 degrees and a low temperature of zero degrees. So 
is that flashing that we're talking about today on this podcast going to perform at a very cold temp when it's taken to a very high temp and back for, for a whole week um, long test? Uh, so all of this is going through not only that product test to make sure it's passing the AMA standards, but also going through a full wall assembly to make sure they're, they're doing exactly what they should be doing. Yeah. And Tom, you, were you going to add to that as well? Yeah. I think the only thing I was going to add is, you know, we have, uh, I was going to give a little shout out to, to Jim, right. We have the good fortune of having uh, Jim as a resource and his uh, years uh, serving with uh, AMA and understanding these standards to help us uh, be able to test and understand and ensure that we have those products and can put them through rigorous testing that Keenan just explained. So I think, um, you know, very thankful that we have not only the equipment, but uh, the knowledge in-house to be able to do this testing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we're pivoting now, right? So we spent the first part talking about the materials and the material standards and so forth. Now we're starting to talk about assemblies and, and wall systems or wall assemblies because you can't just test the window. It's the, it's the interface between the two that, that we're trying to test and understand. There's a, there's a dynamic there, right? And that, that's how all of these things have kind of have grown up. The, um, so that, that's some of the test protocol standards. Then you get to, well, okay, what actually works? How does the window go in the wall? And what are those details? What are those sequences that will pass these? We know the material is solid, right? That passes the material standards, the AMA 711 and so forth. And we have a test protocol, but now we have to figure out, okay, well, how do you put that window in and um, how do you sequence all the flashing steps so that it passes these, these tests. And that's where Tom and Keenan, that's where you guys really uh, have a ton of experience there, right? Running various wall assembly tests and various configurations. That's right. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's go there um, a little bit. Um, you know, windows, if you're a builder building in a certain part of the country and you, your view can be pretty narrow in that you kind of do the same thing mostly day in, day out in terms of, you know, um, I wrap the house in Tyvek, my windows go in, my windows are going to be installed afterwards, et cetera, et cetera. But there are other parts of the country that are dramatically different. Windows might be, might be first, the wrap might go on second. You might have recessed windows. I've seen some recessed windows in the South desert Southwest there four, five, six feet deep, the guy's literally laying on his stomach trying to flash him. Um, you don't see that in other parts of the country. Um, some have much more water than others, right? And different different um, temperature conditions, et cetera. So um, getting these installation standards right and then being able to test to them is, is so critical. Um, what are, I guess my question is, we, so, so we've, DuPont has done a lot of work in this area in terms of developing um, standard installation methods, if you will, for these various scenarios, windows first, windows second, recess, bump out, et cetera, flange, non-flange. I mean, the list is really quite long and extensive. Matter of fact, we, I know we like to joke, right, Tom, that um, our list of our flashing installation guideline is like 200 pages long, maybe 193. I'm not, I haven't looked lately. Uh, we're topping out at 200 now, actually. 200. <laughs> yeah. nice. uh, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. We, we pride ourselves in that. Thank exactly. you. <laughs> but I will say to not scare anybody off, if you're looking for a particular application, a recess, like it may only be 
three, four, five pages you got to follow. Now, and we try to index it, try to make it simple to access it. For sure. And I think I think the the, the one note there is that um, we recognize that folks build different in different parts of the country, which you spoke to, Alan. So what we try to provide are, are options for all parts of the country. So, you know, jokingly, we do have a, a ton of content out there, but it's it's on purpose so that we can provide solutions uh, for the different uh, window installation types, window, in, window and door um, types themselves, and uh, the different building types that are out there. So uh, we, we are able to use our test methods that we've referenced to help uh, build out those installation details. Yeah, and some of those install methods, I guess, come from standards developed, I'm back to Jim now, right, on some yeah. of the standards you developed in some of the FMA, AMA, WDMA series. Correct. Um, walk us through yeah. those, just a, a brief synopsis of those, and then we'll pivot back kind of to the real world, if you will, some of the experiences with, with Tom and Keenan. Yeah, great. So I mentioned the ASTM E2112 standard, which was developed again back in the early 2000s, around 2003 which is, a you know, talk about a long document. Again, it's, it's probably about 90 pages long and reads like a great reference material, but it's not something you can go out and hand an installer and say, here, follow this. It's just too complex. It's too academic for that. So we formed a committee, as you mentioned, the FMA, AMA, WDMA around 2005. It was in response to a, a big hurricane season in Florida where they had a lot of water leakage through the windows and they said, hey, we, we need to develop standards that, that can fix this. And so we got a committee together, uh, three major organizations working together on this with a lot of the industry experts. And I tell you, working on these kinds of standards is, is really very enlightening because you work on the problems that, that the industry doesn't know how to fix. And you work with all the experts in the field. And we got together and, and the first set of, of documents we worked on was the extreme exposure. It was Basically, what do you do in like the Florida type uh, climates where you have a lot of uh, high wind and rain exposure? And we developed these series, uh, the 100 to 400 series for windows in wood frame construction, for um, doors in wood frame, and then also in, in CMU construction, which was common to Florida. And we tested them and we did the installations in a lab. And this is where we learned a lot about what's practical. We didn't just write down the, the method. We had to go in and test it and, and test it to rigorous standards and uh, publish those documents. And they are now referenced in some of the, the Florida codes and also in, in other areas uh, as you know, best practices for the industry. And that, that committee's evolved to now take on other types of issues like windows installed with uh, foam plastic insulated sheathing as the energy code has, has increased. Uh, there's the, the, the use of exterior uh, foam sheathing is much more common. It makes a lot of sense from a building science standpoint, but how do you integrate it with the windows? So we developed the, uh, the document, which is the FMA AMA WA 500 uh, that addresses several different scenarios for there. And the, again, the committee did all these installs, we learned from them and we, and we developed a method based on those learnings. And the most recent one, yes, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, sorry to interrupt yeah. you. So those learnings yeah. happen from testing at places like DuPont and or yep. window, window companies, large window companies doing their own testing as well. And then you collect those learnings and get back together. Right? We, well, actually the committee does the installation themselves. Oh, okay. um, we, we do do them in, in the field and in the lab. Um, you get your the most ready. recent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very enlightening. Uh, the most recent one was done uh, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana for, for replacement windows. 
and we found some damaged homes there from you know, from flooding, and uh, did some replacement systems where we're doing full frame replacement. And Tom Tom helped us out with that one, and uh, it was there was a lot of learnings there. And yeah. uh, we published that document last year, the this the twenty seven ten document FMA Yeah, I know that. I know replacement windows could be a whole podcast by itself. I think right, right. It's really a complex Absolutely. area, and there's there's a ton of yeah. development and innovation needed there. It's an it's an exciting area because there's so many windows sold into replacement. So okay, so when it comes to the to the building knowledge center with with Tom and Keenan, so your your roles or you know the role of that organization internally and, and externally facing. You're doing both development work, you're developing products, you're developing methods for guys like Jim and the, and the industry in some sense, right? Really for DuPont, but your those learnings are going to the industry as well. But then you're also solving customer problems. Some either, some questions in advance, maybe proactive, and then some reactive where you have to maybe do some testing, right? So Tom, I guess as we, you know, have there, can you give us an example maybe of times where you've worked with a customer on some flashing Particular, particularly tough flashing questions and, and had to work through those through some of the testing or, or knowledge that you've gained? Yeah, I think there's there's a number of examples uh, like that. Um, one, you know, we've, we've raised the Southwest a number of times because the, the recess windows um, are a, a challenging option there. So I think they're, it's a really good example. And I think Keenan can speak to this uh, in terms of the testing that we actually did, but it'll, it gives us the opportunity to really work with the uh, our distributor partners in that market and work uh, up up close with the customer themselves to help deliver the solutions that they need, um, and we do that by uh, understanding the construction that's there and then uh, taking that back to our lab and being able to to test that. And I think that's what uh, Keenan can probably elaborate on. Yeah, that's a that's a good point, Tom. So we had solutions for that market. So the Southwest was really one of the first to adapt this deep recess, shallow recess type window install. Um, architects really like it, some homeowners do, and, and it's just a different type of install that could raise a lot of problems and issues when you're trying to flash to make sure nothing's leaking through that window. Um, so we had the liquid applied flashing. And while that works, a lot of the builders still said we would really want a, a self-adhered flashing um, for a number of reasons. Maybe they didn't want to use the liquid applied flashing, um, cost, it, it, any number of those reasons. But what we had to do is take that back to our lab and, and come up with a solution, like Tom said, to add to that 200-page document. Um, but again, it's for those ways in which builders are saying we need help. And this specific install with recessed windows took seven walls. And, and that doesn't sound like a lot, but a lot of times you're going to pass with one wall. You're going to go through and you're going to find out everything you did was perfect. The way in which you designed it worked and let's move on. We had a lot of learnings, but it allowed opportunities for us to investigate the materials uh, and determine kind of where they fit best together. And that, that's a, a big saying right there. So we understood the materials work, like you said earlier, but how do they work with a, a hole in the wall, which is essentially what a window is, and integrating that wrap along with the flashing. So we're able to, at that lab with the recessed windows, just adjust our items to deliver exactly what they're looking for in that field. Um, and we were able to do that for both residential and going up to multifamily pressures. So, and yeah. Keenan, you, 
Go ahead, I was going to add to that. I think, uh, you know, it's important to talk about the, the walls themselves, like you said, Keenan, right? Yeah. The amount of work that uh, our team had put into building those walls and testing them, um, you know, hours, days, weeks, right? Because you have to build that wall. And when you talk about a recess, you have to have a wall wall assembly that you can take and then hook up to a, a wall assembly uh, test rig. So that wall itself is going to be with the recess window a foot or more uh, deep. So the construction method for uh, building that in the lab setting, applying the materials, the sealants, uh, the flashing, obviously, waiting for the sealants to cure, um, testing it with the water and air pressures that we talked about. And that's one wall, right? So we uh, going through those iterations of, of seven times doing that to get a solution that really works. And I think one of the key highlights from that was the, the corner of the recess itself. If you think about a recess window kind of sunk into the wall, um, how do you, you treat with a self-adhered flashing that inside kind of three-dimensional corner? And we, we developed a really cool solution there where we actually just take a piece of our flex wrap that we talked about earlier, and we fold it um, in such a way that it creates a monolithic uh, piece of flashing for that inside corner. So you don't have any pinholes in that really hard to address corner. So it's key developments like that that we're able to produce in that lab setting. So I think it's, you know, I've really enjoyed it over the past seven years that I've been in it. And I think, uh, I think definitely we, we all do in terms of working together collaboratively on it. Yeah. yeah. So let, let's just, uh, just to make it real a little bit more, when we say test and it works, it doesn't work. Like you guys are actually, you're testing, you're hitting with water, hitting with air pressure, then you physically deconstruct that wall and look for evidence of water getting where it shouldn't get, right? That's right. Yeah. So that's, that's what we do internally. That's what they do at a third party test also. So you, you still need to get these signed off but you're checking, we also spray dye on the wall. So it's a cool way in which if water's getting through, you're now able to see exactly where that water's coming in on the, the face of the wall and, and where it is coming onto the backside of the, the wall setup that you have. Um, so you can figure out from those seven walls that we did, and like Tom said, in the, in the corners, we're a big spot. We're able to find that out with the red dye going through and, and noticing exactly where that's happening. So it's a really neat setup that we're able to, from the start, build the frame and to the end, tear down the whole assembly and, and do some research on it to make sure um, we know exactly for that next wall what to, to correct to make sure it's going to pass. Yeah. That final product is that that install guide we kept we keep referring to, right? We're able to take that learning, that understanding that we get from the lab, and then and put everything that we actually constructed in the lab setting into an install document that we, of course, have confidence in because it passed after those seven walls. We we of course published the ones that passed. So um, it's 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 cool to be able to translate that into a document that then goes into the field. Yeah, that's one of the key. Um, not different. It's one of the, one of the key learnings here is, you know, when you oftentimes you talk to um, folks out in the field building things and they say, oh, I don't have any water issues. Well, part of that is maybe they haven't looked, right? It hasn't been brought to their attention, but you guys have literally hundreds of times have looked like you've actually looked and yeah. torn stuff apart and looked deep and right. I mean, that's a huge, so when, when you say that works, we know that works because of all that extra work you put into it if you say that that doesn't work then we i mean we know exactly why and where right much different i guess i guess the point i'm trying to drive is it seems and feels different than maybe obviously the person who's not deconstructing a wall 
right? If you, the, the only yeah. way to really understand if something works is to, <clears throat> absent a significant leak, is to deconstruct the wall. Yeah. Well, so and so often, Alan, people will uh, get calls from their homeowners saying, "Oh, my window's leaking," right? And because the window, you know, water's coming in around the rough opening of the window to the interior, but the source of that leak could be somewhere very different than the window and just ends up at the window because it's that hole in the wall and that's where it will collect. So unless you do that forensic evaluation, you really just don't know what the, the root cause is Right. a lot of times. Yep. Right. And, and Alan, I'll add, uh, moving forward and, and now what, 2021, they've been doing this for a handful of years where they're doing water testing on the job site. So especially in Tom's part of the field and multifamily, it's becoming more and more common for them to do this. So you're starting to see a lot more of these installers look at these installation guidelines and respect them because the way they may have done this in the past wasn't passing the, the rigorous testing that they're doing on a job site. So before they get to 200 windows that they're going to put on a building, they'll do a quick test to make sure the flashing that they're using is, is going to work with the wrap that they're using. And that's, again, why it's so important to understand all of our products have this solution because we've tested it all together. Um, it'd be pretty much impossible to test the hundreds of flashing materials with the hundreds of wraps and, and know with confidence that they're going to succeed. You can run and, and install them the way that we've done and, and put in our installation guidelines, but you can't with 100% confidence say that they're going to pass. Yeah, so that's a great point, Keenan. We, um, we do see those in the multifamily space, less so in the single family, but you never know what the future holds. It may, um, we may find it in the single family world going forward as well. And that's why, like, the, so this 200 page document we keep referring to, again, if you're following those sequences and using those materials as prescribed and as shown, rest assured that there's a fair bit of testing behind it and knowledge applied to it that as long as you install it like that, that it will perform uh, as you expect and as you want for, for many, many years. So there's any number of window applications and situations we can talk about. We have mentioned in other parts of the country, windows go in first, uh, then you wrap, how do you do that? There are various install standards that I don't think we've talked about. Um, these AMA A, B, and C, where you can um, you can put the wrap on first, but you can cut the sides open and flash back to the OSB. You can wrap the cavity and flash, and all those those various uh, methods have been developed by these industry associations in conjunction with folks like Dupont, testing and um, learning and applying. So that I guess I'm looking to you, Jim. Right? That, that's right. Is there right. All, all of those various standards? Absolutely. Um, you know, one thing I've, I've, I've given presentations uh, on this topic to the industry, and a lot of times I'll start out that uh, with a warning that this presentation may make you very um, worried about your, your own home uh, because you're not sure what's going on behind the wall. And because the, the window wall interface is the most vulnerable part of the building. Uh, it's where a lot of the damage collects and you just have to make sure you get it right. Yeah. And as you said, there's so many variables, so many different variations that this is it's just critical. It's a challenge. That you follow these standards. Yeah. One of the other interesting areas, I guess, that DuPont has a product for it is um, non-flange, right? What do you do when the window doesn't have a flange? Like, you know, what the heck? What do you do? So we have some interesting products. Tom, what 
describe about a couple that maybe not so commonly understood or maybe folks aren't aware of, but how do we, how do we address situation, for instance, without a window or door without flanges? What, what do we do? Yeah, I think one of the, the, the maybe even one of the most unique uh, flashing products that we offer is a product called uh, VersaFlange, which can be used um, not only for non-flange units, but uh, ones like uh, brick mold doors. Um, uh, interestingly enough, it was actually previously called Straight Flash VF, and the question was always, what, what does VF stand for? It was, it was versatile flange, so we, we shortened that and, and cleaned that up a little bit. So VersaFlange, it's actually a double-sided butyl uh, uh, flashing product, and what that does is allows you to, on one side of the product, adhere that butyl adhesive and then fold the other side once you install that, um, that unit, you fold the other side onto the wall surface and then uh, peel the release liners to adhere that onto the wall. And um, the, the easiest way to see it is, is through uh, using the product itself, seeing in the field, but we also have some nice animations on it. And one of the things I'll put up I'll point out from the application, because you're actually working and installing that product on the brick mold door or non-flange window, for instance, you're installing it on that unit first rather than on the, the uh, window or door on the wall. So you're actually, in order to get the correct shingling, when you do install it, you're actually applying the headpiece first and then the jam pieces so that when you turn that unit around and install it into the rough opening, you do have the proper shingling. So that's always a, that's always been an interesting point uh, for me. To, to it's a little bit backwards, you you think, until you put the the wall the window or the door into the wall opening, and uh, you see that correct shingling. So anyway, it's yeah. a really cool product um, that you know having that dual sided uh, adhesive. Yeah, it's really unique, and I don't think there's anyone else out there with a product like that. Not to my right? knowledge, there's not. Same yep. here. Yeah. So Jim, going forward. You know, we've talked an awful lot here about window flashing and standards and so forth, installation methods and test methods, but an awful lot of that has um, has been targeted at new construction windows. Mm -hmm. Primarily, we've talked about some of this applies to replacement, but an awful lot new construction. Yeah. Replacement is like half the market, half the windows sold, or maybe, you know, are replacement windows, and yet there's a lot of inconsistency, no real standards out there. What, what can the industry expect from the industry associations in improving installations for uh, replacement window situations? Yeah, Alan, that's, that's a great question. Um, we have started that work and we did publish our first document on that, which was the replacement window for uh, full frame replacement um, in brick, uh, brick facade uh, buildings. And it's, uh, again, the, the key learning that we had there is in a new construction, you can just, integrate the, the flashing with the weather barrier and, and just have that nice drainage plane. But if you're doing a replacement window and you're trying to do an integration with a drainage plane um, in an older home, you don't know what's behind those walls. Unless you're replacing the facade, you really can't drain behind the facade because you don't know if the wrap's there, you don't know if it's in good condition. Uh, so the traditional drainage methods that we use in, in new construction don't always apply for replacement. And so we had to develop a method that was a through wall and, and it, it, uh, that goes across the cavity into the, uh, and, and directs water to the exterior side of the facade. These are things that we learned um, 
and just you know how to position the, the replacement window uh, relative to the to the facade is also very important. So yes, we, we've done a lot of learnings. It's just begun though. There's um, there's lots more work to do in that area. Yeah, it's really complex, right? As you map out the various possibilities. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to all three of you. I hope our listeners have learned much more about flashing. And um, it is a, it's a fascinating world. It's a complex world. There's so much thought and science behind it. And kudos to the three of you for, for helping educate us and for your involvement in moving the industry forward uh, in such an important area around water management and, and tight building envelopes. So thanks again for being here and um, sharing your thoughts and experiences. Thanks, Alan. Thank you, Alan. Thanks, Alan. This podcast is brought to you by DuPont Performance Building Solutions, who provides the marketplace with a full suite of weatherization, thermal, and air sealing solutions, such as DuPont Tyvek wraps, flashings, and tapes, DuPont Styrofoam brand XPS rigid foam board, and great stuff and froth back spray foams. DuPont knows the homes you build today will need to stand the test of time, expanding, contracting, breathing, and protecting for generations to come. Be sure to check back often for new episodes.